What we really need to look at now uh, is just some of the top stories of 2015. Uh, Here are these stories that come to us. Jenny Burke, this is from a Christian perspective. I'll begin with the Christian perspective. Bruce and Caitlin, Bruce or Caitlin, he or she, what should we do with that issue in society? Seeking to complete the financial ruin of a Christian family talks about those in Oregon who are trying to to, um, destroy a baker and his wife for holding to their convictions. Uh, The president's deeply dishonest statement about life. Kevin DeYoung talks about some things. 40 questions for Christian now waving the rainbow flags. When it came to the movie of Fifty Shades of Grey, he wrote an article called No Grey Area. And then what does the Bible say? He goes on to talk about the nine marks of an unhealthy church. And why is a wedding any different? And so you can tell just from those top stories, from the Christian perspective, what's out there. From CBS, I went out and looked at CBS and they went month by month of the top stories. I didn't even want to show the video because the top story almost in every other month was ISIS. And then Bruce and uh, Caitlin came up. The Border Patrol came up. Politics came up. And David Letterman came up. Because David Letterman retired. And with that went the top 10 lists. And we everybody loves lists. Um, I have out on the table for you. Somebody emailed me this week. I thought I'd make it available to you. They wanted to know the seven questions that Brian Risky had put up there last week. And so there's a handout for you on the 10 checkup questions for the new year. People love lists. And so I think God's list, the Ten Commandments, is worth a look at. Now, this is not going to be apologetic for we need to put the Ten Commandments out on the lawn while we attend church. Um, they were taken down, by the way. This, if you see a picture of the classic picture of the two tablets of the Ten Commandments, were taken down this summer. Uh, they were removed from the Capitol building in Oklahoma City. And I, I think I know the reasons behind it. But boy, people got really bent out of shape about that. Glenn Beck, who's a Mormon, uh, went on his radio show and just got bent out of shape about that. This is not an apologetics to bring back the monument of the Ten Commandments. In fact, you know what people are doing to replace the monument of the Ten Commandments? In Detroit, they put up a statue of Satan. Um, they, they wanted their statue of Satan. There it is. It stands tall with two adoring children looking on. That is the, uh, I forget the, the weird Greek name, but that's a goat god that has come to resemble Satan. And so people get bent out of shape over this. This is not an appeal to bring back the monuments because the moral compass does not need to be displayed It needs to be used. That if you have a compass, if I put a compass and I have this really nice compass and it just sits on my wall, and I say, look, look, there's the compass. Isn't the compass nice? You were like, but you need to take that off the wall. You need to use it to guide you and direct you because without a compass, there's moral emptiness. And so am I disappointed that they removed the Ten Commandments? Absolutely. But I'm not deterred, and you shouldn't be either. You see, the world doesn't see the validity or the relevance or the application of them. Uh, even in the very laws they live by, they don't see the, that all laws, reasonable and respectable, come from God. In fact, the Ten Commandments are used several ways. There's 
people use it as kind of a standard today. You should see a, a picture up there of the Ten Commandments of Typography. And so they, it's become this nomenclature that you, when you want something of standard, something of validity, you can use the Ten Commandments, but we just don't want to follow the Ten Commandments. In fact, we joke about the Ten Commandments. I read a couple jokes this week about a lady who was putting a Bible in the mail. Not, qu- not quite yet on the hillbilly thing. That was, that was my punchline. You just ruined it. But we'll go back to those. <laughs> we didn't work on the, We didn't do our timing. That's effective. Um, this lady was mailing a Bible uh, to her family member. And the guy, you, you did this this Christmas season. Behind the counter, is there anything, um, what is it? Is there anything in here that is breakable? And she said, only the Ten Commandments. <laughs> uh, comic strip on the per, law, a professor, law professor's door shows Moses receiving the Ten Commandments from God, and then he's walking down the hill with the two tablets under his arm, and he shows up, and there's this kind of dejected representative of the people of God, and he says, well, actually, Moses, we were hoping for a less structured life. That's what we do with the Ten Commandments. Something, though, the hillbilly commandments is close uh, to where uh, I, I think they're very representative of the Ten Commandments. Ain't no one but God, honor your ma and pa. Now, he didn't go in order, or she, whoever put those together. Maybe that's part of the whole hillbilly theme. Uh, No telling tales or gossiping. Get your hide to Sunday meeting. I love that. That's going to be my my new, hey, where were you? You weren't at the Sunday meeting. Ain't nothing come before the Lord. No fooling with another fellow's gal. No killing except for critters. Quit your foul mouthing. No swiping your kin, folks. Don't be... Uh, hankering for it neither. Now, I think if we took that, you know, Ben Zamora's like, hey, hey, maybe we should get some tablets and put them up there. I think that'd be fun just kind of to set the context. Maybe if we put these out, people would, would pay attention to them. But for some reason, when it comes to thou shalt not, people don't want to hear about the Ten Commandments. Some of you are probably even sitting out there right now going, whoa, partner, we're in the New Testament. That is Old Testament. Yes, it is. But I hope to show you from today and over the next 12 weeks and that these apply to our life today. And so what we're going to do is we're going to give an overview of the law today and then our approach to it. And so we're calling this series The Ten Commandments, Holding Up the Rules That Set Us Free. And I sent this to the elders this week. I said, hey, this is the ad that's going in the paper. What do you think? And they're like, oh, that's good, because they got it. But I hope whoever's reading it in the paper sees, wait a second, you're telling me you're going to hold up the rules like Moses did, and these rules set you free? All I've ever heard about Christianity is don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls who do. All you guys are about a bunch of don'ts. Well, I hope to show you through the next few weeks Every commandment, one each week, that these rules that bind us actually set us free. And so we begin where the Bible begins. We begin with Genesis. We begin with Genesis. And you see in Genesis the creation of the world and the blessing of the world. In the creation, you have the foundations of the earth in 1 and 2. You have the fall of man in 3 through 5. You have the flood in 6 through 9. And you have the forming of the nations. There's the creation of the world. 
everything you see in the world, you can go all the way back to that. We, when we taught on Genesis, we spent several weeks, I think three weeks in chapter three, because anything that's wrong in your life right now, anything that's wrong in your marriage, anything that's wrong in your workplace, anything that's wrong in the world, I assure you with confidence by biblical fact, it happened in chapter three. But then God gave a promise and he carried out that promise in blessing. You see it in Abraham 12 through 25, Isaac in 26, Jacob 27 through 36, and Joseph in 37 through 50. And so that is Genesis that leads us to Exodus. In the beginning of Exodus, is this similar to the ending of Genesis because it's one book it's supposed to flow. This is the creation of the world and this is the salvation of my people. You see the redemption in 1 through 18 and then the revelation. You see in one uh, of chapter, chapter 1 of Exodus, you see this oppression coming from those who had forgot about Joseph. And then in 2 through 4, God raises up a deliverer in the name of Moses. And then you see opposition to that. You see that in the plagues. And then you see God's deliverance in 13 through 18, that he takes them through the Red Sea. And then in 19 through 40, you see this revelation. It begins with a covenant that God's on the mountain and Moses goes up to him. And then at the very beginning, you see the moral law. You see this, these 10 commandments. And then you're going to see the Constitution played out. You're going to see a compromise in 32 through 34. And then in 35 through 40, the construction of a tabernacle. You get the table of the law and the tabernacle of the Lord given to you as the revelation of God to man. And so we swept through the book of Acts, covering a chapter a week, basically. And so for the next 12 weeks, we're going to look at one chapter. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, and today we're going to look at all of two verses. We're going to look at a lot more verses, but just two verses in this chapter. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1, and God. Again, this is the God who created the world. This is the Elohim, who is the ruler of all things. Just as he spoke in creation, let there be light, Let there be water, let there be land, let there be lights in the heaven, let there be water and land animals, and let there be man. Just as he spoke that into existence, here he speaks. And God spoke. And so when God speaks, we listen. Every single person in this room needs to listen. I need to listen. In fact, I'll show you from a few more verses later on, the entire world needs to listen to what God has to say. And God spoke all these words. This wasn't a mixture of, hey, God's like, hey, Moses, I'll tell you what. Why don't we have a dialogue? Why don't we meet at Yeti's, grab a coffee? You tell me what you're thinking. I'll tell you what I'm thinking. We'll come up with kind of something in between. No. God spoke all these words. And here's what he said. I am the Lord your God. I am. So he goes back to Exodus chapter 3 where he says, I am the great I am. I'm eternally existent. There's never been a time where I was not, and I'm actively present. That's what I am means. He's eternal. He's not, I came to be, or I was and no longer am. I've changed. God never changes. He is the great I am. He's eternally existent, and he's actively present today, just as he was then. He is actively present. 
the great I am, the Lord. He is Yahweh. He is a personal God. In chapter 1 of Genesis, it's Elohim. It is this one God who created the world spectacular. In chapter 2, Yahweh. We're introduced to his personal nature. We have a relationship with God. And he created the world special, especially man and woman. What's wrong with all the top 10 news stories? What's wrong with everything? If you go and you line them up, they're breaking the 10 commandments. If not all of them, definitely some of them. And we're going to see that. And so this is the God who says all these things. I am the Lord your God, and here's who he is. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. I just want you to catch that. I want you to get this. The law was founded upon grace. That should be the next slide. The law was founded upon grace. That's an odd way to put it. No, that's a great way to put it because he gives this law after he saves his people. This law was never meant for them to come to salvation. It was given after their salvation. In fact, you'll see the 10 words uh, in Exodus 34, 28. This is what he says. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. That's Moses. And he neither ate bread nor drank water. I'm pretty sure God sustained him. I mean, he's in awe and God sustains him. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the 10 commandments or the 10 words. And it's the it's come to known in Hebrew times, the Torah, the five books of the law, the Pentateuch. And by definition of the word law in Hebrew, it means to instruct or to teach. It does not mean to save. It never has meant to save. It never will mean to save. It's used 470 times in the Bible, 114 in the Old Testament, 80 times in the Gospels. 96 times Paul uses it, mostly in Romans and Galatians, as you will see today. It was given after the people has been saved. And like I said earlier, the law was founded upon grace. It was given to us because he wanted to instruct us. He wanted to give us a blueprint for our behavior. There are two major pictures or texts in the Bible that once these are laid out, everything looks back to them. The first one, and they both happen in Exodus. You would think Genesis, and Genesis is very important. We spent two years on it. But in Exodus, you get the Red Sea crossing, of which everyone will look back. This is when God saved us. I called you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You see it all over the prophets. You see it all over the poets. And the stone tablets, the Ten Commandments. Because every other law is, is, is built off of these. These are the perfect summary of all of his laws. They are the perfect summary. This is the perfect list. I have nothing against lists. The only thing about lists sometimes that are man-made is sometimes they can be arbitrary and not contain everything. I can really say the Ten Commandments, there's nothing arbitrary about them, and they contain everything. Everything. You're telling me everything? I am, because that's the way God did it, and God is perfect, and he knew exactly what he was doing. And so this law is given in three ways. This law that is laid out is given in three ways. Very systematic. I love God's logic. The law is given in three ways. You're going to get the moral law. That's what we're going to spend that, because that we're going to spend a lot of time there, because that leads to the civil law. This is how you should 
act. Now, I could go in and get a little heady on you. In fact, I will. The civil law is given in a case-by-case basis. There was a spirit to the law, even when it was given in the Old Testament, that was on a case-by-case basis. It wasn't meant to be held necessarily to the letter. It was given on a case-by-case basis so that so that it was a representative of all. So if it says in the law that you should keep your fields and you shouldn't go by the corners in your grain fields so that the poor can be taken care of, they could come by. Do you remember that story? It's called the book of Ruth. If you remember, if you're your grain fields, that doesn't mean if you have some other kind of field, you're exempt from that law. This was just the case he was using to establish the law. And it's what we do in our legal system today. We base it on cases. Amazing what God was doing. And so you get your civil law. I look like a lawyer today. And then you get the ceremonial law. Exodus 25 through all of Leviticus with that minor interruption in between. It's really major interruption. 32 through 34, the whole golden calf incident. Moses had delayed coming down from the mountain. So they said, hey, we need a God. We've got to have a God. More on that next week. Everybody, everybody in the world, even your atheist, longs for a God. That's the way God's designed it. And so with with that major disruption in between, there's this ceremonial law. Build this tabernacle, establish these priests, give these sacrifices. This is how you're supposed to do it. This is the way to God. This is your walk with God. And that is the law wrapped up in three ways. It's given for three reasons. And I'm going to give you three illustrations that go with this. It is given to restrain evil. And, and you see this in all the laws of the, of the respectable ancient Near Eastern cultures. And you see it through the laws today. Laws are given to restrain evil. It is, here's your illustration, offense. I remember when we were, uh, kids were smaller a couple years ago. We had neighbors to the next, next to us. And I told my wife, and our kids were young pumpkins. They were cutie. They're still cute, but they were young. And I said, let those kids play in the backyard. I'm not going to be one of those, Dad. But you make sure that that gate is shut because there was a mean sucker of a dog next door. And if that gate's not shut, that dog, that evil dog, is going to come in and eat my children. And I said, baby, let them play outside, but you make sure our fence is up. And so we're going to the cul-de-sac one day, and my wife never calls me by my first name. She calls me lovey-dovey, handsome husband, hunky pastor, whatever. She calls me all those things. I'm kidding, she doesn't do that. But she never calls me by my first name. And I hear this, Judd! I come cycling back, And there's that evil dog circling my poor wife and my youngest son. Evil had jumped the fence and bit my kids. I won't go into the details of what we did, but the point is, fences are good. Fences are good, except if you have evil dogs that live next to you. I'm not anti-dog. Don't go get crazy on me. Just understand, it is a fence, and it is also a path. It's a rule of life. That the Ten Commandments, you're saying cover everything? Yes, I'm saying they cover worship. Everybody in the world wants to worship. They cover religion. Here's not only do we worship, but here's how we worship. They cover reverence, that there's a seriousness to life. 
oh, life should be joyful, don't hear me. But there is a seriousness to life. And it covers time. How do you handle your time? At the end of every year, you just see all these article after article after article. Here's how do you use your time, use your time, use your time. Well, why is time so important? God knew it was important, and God gave us a law about time. God gave us a law about authority. Authority. It's almost a new dirty word. I look at, say, authority, and everybody's like, he's using the word authority. Yes, I am. Authority is a good thing. In life, God gave us life. Little bitty babies that grow into people. He created them man and woman, and that's the way they should stay. Worship, revelation, reverence, time, all towards God. Authority, life, purity. Priority, how we treat our property, how we use our words. And the only commandment, the 10th commandment, the only one, all of them deal with the heart, but the only one that is all within the heart is our contentment. God covers all of life as a rule of life. And thirdly, not only do we have a path to walk down and a fence that surrounds us, but we have a mirror, a mirror to reveal sin, to reveal sin in our life. Paul said, I would not know sin unless I had known the law. We need the law. We may not always like the law, but the law is perfect because it reveals our sin. It holds up the mirror of our lives. If we look at the scripture, as James says, it will show us the law. It will show us where we fall short. And the law leads to Jesus. If the law was founded upon grace, the law leads us to Jesus. The law shows us grace. The law leads us to Jesus. Jesus affirmed it. In Matthew 5, I did not come to uh, overwrite the law. I came to fulfill the law. Jesus was the authority over it. You have heard it said, but I say to you. He gets to the true heart intent of the law. And Jesus had a wonderful attitude to the law. He held it up in high view. Matthew 15, you guys break the commandments to hold up your traditions. And... By the way, in Galatians 3.24, I think that's what's next, uh, you see in Galatians 3.24, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came. It was a tutor. It was to lead us to Jesus in order that we're justified by faith. And because the law leads us to Jesus, now the ceremonial law, this need for a priest, this need for a sacrifice, this need for a place, Hebrews 9.13 and 14 tells us, no, we do not need the ceremonial law anymore. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the purification of the flesh, how much more, verse 14, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve a living God? And so you see here, Jesus fulfills the ceremonial law. The curtain, it was ripped. You and I, Hebrews, would go on to say, can enter into the holy of holies. When we sing the song that we stand in his presence, do you believe it? 
Because we're here. We're God's gathered people, and He is here. Do you believe it? If the law is a mirror that holds up our lives and shows us, oh my goodness, there is a lot for me to work on. The blood of Jesus, as it says right here, is the soap that cleanses us. And thus, the law leads to Jesus. The ceremonial law is fulfilled. The civil law has changed. Jesus is not over a nation state, but Jesus is over the church. Grace came through God from God through Israel, and grace now comes to the church. There are churches all over this country right now, and there are churches all over the world celebrating Jesus today. They are not limited to any government. And so the civil laws have changed. One day the spiritual, Jesus overseeing the church, will meet the physical, and he will rule this world as its king. And so I read from Tim Keller, where he often, living in New York, Here's what he says about people who say, you Christians, you talk about the Ten Commandments, but you don't live out any of the other commandments in the Old Testament. To which Keller says, I find it frustrating when I read or hear columnists, pundits, or journalists dismiss Christians as inconsistent because they, quote, pick and choose which rules of the Bible to obey. What I hear most often is Christians ignore lots of Old Testament texts about eating raw meat or pork or selfish, not executing people for breaking the Sabbath, not wearing garments woven of two kinds of material, and so on. And he goes on to say in this article that they don't understand the Scriptures. They've probably never taken the time. Just read it and follow it and come to it humbly, not that you're going to be the one that's over the word, but why don't you read as one under the word? And if you do, he says, you'll get it. If you don't get it, here's what he says. Once you gain the main premise of the Bible about the surpassing significance of Christ and his salvation, then all parts of the Bible make sense. Because Because of Christ, the ceremonial law is repealed. Because of Christ, the church is no longer a nation state imposing civil penalties. It falls into place. However, if you reject the idea of Christ as the Son of God or Savior, then of course the Bible is at best a mishmash containing some inspiration and wisdom. But most of it would have been rejected as foolishness or erroneous. So where does that leave us? There are only two possibilities. If Christ is God, then this way of reading the Bible makes sense and is perfectly consistent with the premise. The other possibility is that you reject Christianity's basic thesis. If you don't believe Jesus was the resurrected Son of God, then the Bible is no sure guide for you about much of anything. But the one thing you can't say is in in all fairness is that Christians are being inconsistent with their beliefs because Jesus is the fulfillment. It would be inconsistent of us to try to live like the Old Testament calls us to live because we don't have to. So this girl that goes off a couple years ago, I'm going to try to live out the Old Testament laws. You don't need to. You missed the point. Write your book, make a million dollars, but you missed it. You missed it. You missed it. The law leads to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, the ceremonial, and he changes the civil. But what about the moral? The moral is still valid today. Ten Commandments are the Ten Commandments. Keller said in that article, and I quote, the coming of Christ changed how we worship." not how we live. That's good. The Ten Commandments are still the Ten Commandments. They are still here to restrain evil. Look at Romans 2, 14 and 15. Romans 2, 
For when the Gentiles, now watch these two uses of the law here, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires. They are a law unto themselves, even though they do not have the law. He's saying Gentiles who aren't privileged and don't have this thing called the Old Testament at that time, that they show the work of the laws written on their hearts, that God summarized it in the Ten Commandments and he's put it on everybody's hearts. While their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even accuse them. So what Paul just said there is people who don't even have the scriptures obey the scriptures. C.S. Lewis said it like this in his classic work, Mere Christianity. He begins the whole thing. I love what he does here. He takes a person who says he was an atheist and came to know Jesus. Read the book. uh, I forget what it's called. It has joy in the title. Surprised by joy. But Lewis begins mere Christianity. He goes, if I were to get on a train and take your orange, you would be frustrated with me. Just to grab your orange. Because inside of us, written on everybody's hearts, is this moral law. And so it's, it's given to restrain evil. Everybody will argue philosophically about the Ten Commandments mean nothing. And then I say when I'm sitting at Yeti's, what would you do right now if I smacked you in the face? Well, I can't believe you're a pastor. You would even talk like that. I'm just like Paul. Let me speak a little foolishness now. Bear with me. But I say that to catch your attention because you talk all this philosophical nonsense about not having any laws, but you don't want me to punch you or hand me your wallet. Let me have all the cash in it. Just let me thieve you. Oh, no, we can't do that. Right, because you know the law. It's to restrain evil. And it's also to reveal sin. This is what Paul says over and over in Romans and Galatians, Romans 19, 3, 19 and 20. This is what he says. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. Now, watch this. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. So when the law was given, God in his wisdom said the entire world is going to be held accountable for these natural laws, not natural laws, but these moral laws that are written on their hearts. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Galatians 2 says it like this. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not works of the law. But because works of the law, no one will be justified. And so all the law does is it reveals your sin. It does not save you. But what we learn from Romans 3 is this next principle. The law is transcendent and universal. It is universal. It applies throughout. Some people say, well, those were just the laws for Israel. Not according to Paul, because Paul, who was an Israelite himself, who came to know Jesus, said this law holds the whole world accountable. But it's not to justify, as we've just read. It leads to Jesus and his grace. Look at Romans 6, 14 and 15. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. If you've bowed the knee to Jesus, you are no longer under the law. Amen? You are not under its condemnation. Romans 10.4 says this. Well, let me, 15. What then? Well, go back to 15. What then? Are we to sin that because we're not under law? By no means. We're not to continue in sin. May it never be. Romans 10.4 says this. 
for Christ is the end of the law. Here's the key. Here's the key for righteousness to everyone who believes. It's not the end of the law, moral law, that we shouldn't follow it. It's the end of righteousness, and it does not rule over us, as he says in 6.14. And so he goes on in 7 to say this, The law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and it's righteous, and it's good. It's a good law. We need the law. And so it is still to restrain evil. It is still to reveal sin. And it is still a rule for our lives. Ben read earlier, Matthew 5, 17 through 20, that we are to, that Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And in 1 Timothy 1, 8, look at what he says. Now we know that the law is good. It's good if one uses it lawfully. If one uses it lawfully. In fact, I will let you know that every single commandment of the Ten Commandments is repeated in the New Testament. There's a nuance to the one on Sabbath, which is about six weeks away. So come on back all six weeks, and we'll talk about the Sabbath. But the rest of them are repeated verbatim. The point is, the law led you to Jesus. Jesus died for the sin. Jesus rose again, and we are now justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. God then sends the Spirit. The Spirit now enables us to live out what God has called us to do because the same blueprint for behavior back then is the same one for today's behavior. In fact, let me read you what some of the major um, players in church history have said about the law, specifically the Ten Commandments. This is... Martin Luther, 1570. This could be Judd Rumley, 2060. I fear that after our time, the right handling of the law will become a, a lost art. Even now, although we continually explain the separate functions of the law and the gospel, we have those among us who do not understand how the law should be used. What will it be like when we are dead and gone? Westminster Confession, when it's going to teach people. It says, besides the law, commonly called moral, God was pleased to give the people of Israel, as, as a church under age, ceremonial laws containing several typical ordinances, partly of worship, prefiguring Christ, his graces, actions, sufferings, and benefits, and partly holding forth various moral duties, all of which the ceremonial laws are now abrogated under the New Testament. However, Doubt forever bind all as well as justified persons as others to the obedience thereof that not only in regard of the matter contained in it but also with the respect to the authority of God who gave it. Neither Christ in the gospel does he any way dissolve but rather strengthens the obligation. He didn't come to abolish but he fulfilled it and he strengthens our obligation. He strengthens our obligation and I give you one last quote that's up here. The law sends us to the gospel that we may be justified and the gospel sends us to the law again to inquire what is our duty in being justified. So let me reiterate this. The Christian is not under law. You're not under law as if the law is what is condemning you. It is as a way of justification, as a way of ceremonial, as a way of even sanctification. You are not under law. I am not under law. What we do is live out the law. 
In fact, we've been freed from the law. Galatians 5.1 says this. Actually, we'll start with Romans 8.1. For f- we'll go to Galatians. Romans. Galatians. We'll just go back and forth. Therefore, Paul just said in, in Romans 7, Who will rescue me from this? Sin, wretched man that I am. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of Christ Jesus has taken over from the law of the spirit of death. And so we're done with the law as a way of justification. Paul says in Galatians 5.1, Therefore, for freedom Christ has set us free, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. And that is what a lot of Christians do today. That is what a lot of Christians do today. We're not under the law. They turn the freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. And the minute you come to them and you say, Thou shalt not... They're like, whoa, whoa, you're, you're so Old Testament. No, I'm not. I'm just godly. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, but I'm just holding up the mirror. And so when I say, thou shalt not, insert whatever, it's not that I'm being a legalist. It's I'm taking real serious God's blueprint for behavior. We've been freed from its condemnation. We've been freed from the ceremony. The curtain, again, has been ripped we can enter the Holy of Holies. We are now enabled by the Holy Spirit to live out what God commands. That is what we studied just last week in Sunday school. May God bless every resolve for good. And God make us able to fulfill that. He, he blessed the desire and he blessed the action. And you're saying, but wait a second. You're all over this law stuff. I mean, you're missing it, right? I mean, isn't the central teaching of the scriptures love for this is the love of God this is did you see that up there I'm not making this up I'm just quoting it this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and be encouraged this you can check that you can let me just flip to it in my Bible so it's not just a pretty picture on the screen you can go to 1 John it's in the Bible somewhere. First Peter, let's see, then First John, and skip right. Oh, First John 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And does that say that? Is it my Bible? His commandments are not burdensome. What? Yeah, they're not burdensome. faith, working through love, we can live out His commands. They're not, here's what's burdensome. Here's what, you're going, well, what's burden? Why do I feel so burdened? The commandments aren't burdensome. It's believing. It's believing. It's believing in our hearts, in our minds, and in our hearts. It's believing. Yes, if I go down this road of obedience to God according to His blueprints for behavior, these disciplines of grace as Kent Hughes calls them. I love that. These are disciplines of grace. If I do this, life will be better. I don't know. I just don't know if I believe that because I believe I can sneak around and I can lie and I can cheat and I can steal. Nah, I just don't believe. It's the belief. Do you and I believe that the Ten Commandments really do work in our life? Do we believe that? Do we believe that? And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take one a week. And each week, here's what's going to be 
revealed. In each commandment, you will see a revelation of God. You will see his character. Why, other, why no other gods before me? Why not steal people's property? Because God values property. God values ownership, which helps with business, which helps with all sorts of things. More on that in a few weeks. We will see a revelation of the human heart. We will be confronted. I'm confronted. I've, I haven't been more excited in teaching this series than when we did food networking because every week I got to talk about food. And every time we sat down, we got to talk about the gospel. It was great. But I'm encouraged about this because there is a simplicity to the Ten Commandments and there's a conviction that you once you understand these, you go, whoa, I can't live the Christian life apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't please God apart from Jesus' work in my life. Thank you, God, for your graciousness in showing me what I can't do to point me to the one who can do so I can go and live for you and let the world know of you. And it's instruction for life. I was going to save this for the end, but I'll, I'll read it now. I, I When I read this by J.I. Packer, I'm like... I. I was thinking the same thing, but then J.I. Packer put it in words much better than mine, so I'll just read his words. What would happen? Let's just do a little social experiment. What would happen in our instructions for life? What would happen if we just said, you know what, this year, I'm not making any New Year's resolution, I'm not going to lose 20 pounds, I'm not going to bench 300, I'm not going to run a marathon. That's great, do it. Go for it. Last night I had a burger. It was awesome. Two days into the new year, I'm eating fried stuff. It was great. But what would happen? By God's grace, for God's glory, and for the good of the world. That's true productivity. We, we, I'm going to try to live out as best I can the Ten Commandments. God's love he gave us the law. We could just stop right there. God's love. God loved you so much that he gave us the law. Just as his love gave us the gospel. And there is no spiritual life for us saved through the gospel, which points us to Jesus Christ the Savior. And there's no spiritual help saved for us as we seek Christ's strength to keep the law and practice the love of God and neighbor for which it calls. Commandments 1 through 4. All it is is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And commandments 5 through 10 is all love your neighbor as yourself. Suppose people generally began to say, say we said this as a church, by God's help, I will live by the Ten Commandments every day from now on. I will set myself to honor God and obey Him. I will take note of all that He says. I will be in church for worship each week. Praise God. He said it, not me. I will not commit adultery or indulge myself in lust, or stir up lust in others. That's huge. My wife and I continue to, to, to dream for the day to come back when we were youth where baggy clothes were in. Baggy clothes are not in anymore. Everybody got them yoga pants on. We're praying for the day of baggy clothes. Why? Because out of love, not to stir up lust in others. Did you catch that, ladies? I will not steal, I will nor leave a path of total honesty. I will not lie or cheat. I will not envy or covenant. Key sentence. Community life would be transformed and massive national problems would dissolve overnight. 
it's something more to pray and worship. What if? What if? What if we did this? What if we lived this out? Why? Why? And some of you are still, why the Ten Commandments? That's just so negative in the in the culture today. I know, but there's so much ignorance. Eighty-five percent say the Ten Commandments are still binding in some way. Eighty-five percent of Christians. Fifteen percent can't even na- only fifteen percent can name them all. What if I were to say, pull out a pen and paper and just write down the Ten Commandments? How would we do? How would we do? Bodie Bauckham says this, One foundational reason why we need apologetics is the basic biblical illiteracy we find in the culture at large and in the church. People simply don't know what the Bible says. People don't read the Bible anymore, and as a result, some of the most basic tenets of Christianity, ones that would have been known and assumed to be true by most Americans, are today considered obscure and suspect. Almost no one knows the Ten Commandments anymore, let alone believes that they are relevant. And a systematic education is a foreign concept to the most committed Christians. Which I read that and I said to myself, praise the Lord for every single person in here, and I could look at all of you, that has taught our teaching or will teach. We're doing Sunday school. You know what that is? That's just systematic catechism of the faith. And as a result, our culture is no longer filled with people who grew up steeped in these basic ideas. Today, not even those who attend church, who attended church as children have heard the fund- foundational truths. Consequently, we cannot assume anything. We must be prepared to defend the most basic claims and ideas of our faith. We don't know the Ten Commandments anymore. We don't know the Lord's Prayer and we don't know the Apostles' Creed because we grew up and it was just nobody really educated us on it. We just went through the motions with it and therefore it became something that was kind of, you know, distant. I don't even want to go there. So we're going to study them because I can't assume everybody in here knows the Ten Commandments. I need this. I need to be reminded. That's why I'm excited. I just, when I sat down and started, I'm like, this is so simple. This is essential. I, I'm the, I'm, the older I get, the more I want life to be simple. I went through this, life was simple, life is simple now. If you're a child out there, enjoy life. It is simple. And then it gets complicated. And then you get to a point where God in his graciousness goes, just be simple. And I'm like, yes, I love simplicity. I love doing as few exercises as possible with the most benefit possible. I remember one dad in here one time, their son was going up, he said, what, what's the best exercise? I said, just do burpees. It's the greatest exercise on the planet. You, you have a jump, you have a push, just do burpees. And if everybody in here can do burpees, some of us a little slower than others, just do burpees. And that's the, all you have to do when it comes to working out. When it comes to reading outside of your scripture, One pastor said, just read historical Christian biography because you get history, you get theology, and you get practical ministry all wrapped up into one. And I think to myself, the Ten Commandments, it's not, it's not rocket science. (laughs) There's just ten of them. And so we're going to study them. 
we're going to study them. And, and you know what that begins with? Reading them. So let us read them. We'll begin in verse 3 of chapter 20. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations to those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take in the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female, your servant or your cattle, your sojourner who stays with you. Why? God, God, I love, God doesn't just tell you, but he gives you reasons. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Those are all directed to God. The next are directed towards man. And it begins in the home. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Those are the Ten Commandments. And you know what? We can't post them here, but we used to have them in our schoolroom. Uh, they were in kids' kids' language. It wasn't as detailed as that. But I, I was telling my wife, I want to bring them back. Like when you walk into my house, I just want you to see a big bust of Moses. I'm just kidding. But but why not post them? Because they're that they're that good. And my encouragement to you is to memorize them. Here, I've taken those same verses and just shortened them. If you go back, or right here, here, here are the first four. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. There's more to that than just cursing. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. And that actually goes with it. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. By the way, when I put together, if you've been here for a while, the shortest verses to memorize, these right here made it. They're only four words long. You shall not murder. Five verses. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. So we've, we've read them. My encouragement to you is to memorize them. But the key, the key is not about posting them. The key is not about, you know, taping them to the inside flap of your Bible. That's not the key. The key is to do them. To know them that you do them. Paul said to the Colossians, I pray that you may have a spirit of wisdom and knowledge of him so that you may walk in a manner worthy. Knowledge for the walk. Knowledge for the walk. Learn something, live it out. And so I can think of no better text than Romans 13, 8 to end with. 
owe nothing, owe no one anything except to love, to love. So he begins with love, to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. You see the connect? Law and gospel, law and love were never meant to be pitted against one each other. Like Old Testament's law, New Testament's love. No, no, no. They're two wings of a plane. What happens when you take one wing away? Not good. Plane goes down. Or it could go the other way. I don't know. Lauren knows. Right? For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. We'll get into that, what that means. And Jesus goes straight to the heart. You shall not murder. We'll get into that because it goes straight to the heart. Maybe none of you have ever killed somebody, but you may have murdered somebody today in anger. Whoa. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are, and every, any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is the heart of the matter. We'll look at that next week. Love does no wrong to the neighbor. Therefore, therefore, the most loving thing we can do is learn the Ten Commandments and live out the Ten Commandments. Love is fulfilling the law. As Ben read earlier, let's just end where we began. Just listen to the words. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's the best list out there. It revives your soul. If your soul needs reviving, if you're down and you're in a spiritual wilderness, go to the law. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It's certain. There's no doubt about it. Sometimes I get up here and I say, if, I, if it were me, and you're like, okay, there may be some uncertainty. It's sure. And it takes us from being simple and it makes us wise. The precepts of the Lord are right. When you do things right, it brings joy. When, when things are done right, you, you know it in your own life. There's a joy and these, these rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. God's not asking you to do anything that's impure. It opens your eyes, though, the impurities of life. The commandment is pure. It enlightens your eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. Interesting that in this talk of the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandment, he throws in the fear of the Lord, a parallelism in Hebrew. It's clean. It's clean. I love that. You love that. Long day of skiing, long day of taking down Christmas lights, long day of everything, and you're just, you're tired, you're dirty, you're sweaty, and then you go and you take a shower or whatever, and you come out clean, and you just feel revived. And the judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous all together. We'll continue. They are more desirable than gold. You mean to tell me to know and understand and live out the law is more than having wealth, yes, much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of honeycomb, better than food, yes. Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Moreover, by them, your servant is warned. Do this, don't do this. It's really amazing, really amazing to me that when it comes to the natural law, like gravity and fire is hot, nobody, nobody questions those. None. Don't touch that. That's hot. Oh, you're, he was, they were right. I learned from that. I won't, 
That is hot. If you jump up, what must what goes up must go. Nobody denies that. But when it comes to the moral law, did God really say, really? No adultery? Really? Come on. You're warned. And it says it there in verse 11. It, it's communicated in the New Testament. In keeping them, there is great reward. Now, I am not, you know me, I'm not even close to being health and wealth. Not even close. But I, that's why I read it earlier. What if? What if we just tried this and said, I'm going to do my best by the grace of God, for the glory of God, and for the good of others to live this out? There's great reward. Not just like minimal reward. There is great reward. Do we have verse 12 there? Who can discern his errors? Equip me from hidden faults. I don't think it's up there. Just listen. And also keep back your servant from presumptuous sin. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and shall be acquitted of great transgression. David, even Saul, he gave you the natural laws in this Psalm 19, 1 through 6. He gives you the moral law in 7 through 9. He says it's more desirable. And then in 12 and 13, he says, I'm, I'm guilty of great transgression. And he ends with this. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And he makes that promise. O Lord, my rock, he doesn't move, and my redeemer, he saves me. The law leads to the gospel, which allows us to live out the law. These are the disciplines of grace.